Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. As a Sirius XM and CNN host, I'm known for speaking, but frankly, I read for a living. I need to know what to say, and so I consume over two dozen newspapers and websites daily. I read opposing views and studies and court cases and orders and op-eds just so I can discuss current events on radio and television. But my favorite reading? Books. Old school. And my favorite interviews? are with book authors. Book Club with Michael Smirconish is now in session. Hey gang, my next guest is a rocket scientist. Okay, not literally, but you you get the drift, right? He is a world-renowned physicist. He's the best-selling author of a book that I know you're familiar with called The Elegant Universe. And now Dr. Brian Greene is back with Until the End of Time, Mind, Matter, and Our Search for Meaning, in an evolving universe. Hey, Brian, thanks so much for being here. Congratulations on the new book. Oh, thank you very much. You address uh, big picture issues. How did we get here and where might it all be going? I have to ask a timely question. Where do you put something like coronavirus into the context of your work? Does it have any place? Well, look, as a member of the species, I have the same concerns for our health, well-being, and our local future. But the focus of my work in this book is to give the biggest perspective, where we go right back to the Big Bang, figure out how we got here, and then we turn to the far, far future, 
where the time scales of everyday life are just a blink of an eye. How much of a challenge is it for you to write for the masses? You know, that's the art of writing these kinds of popular science books. The goal is to make the material as accessible, as entertaining as anything by virtue of speaking in language that everybody understands. Look, most people have not gone to graduate school in mathematics. And that means that certain areas of research are not open to most people just because they don't speak that language. My goal is to translate from that technical language to everyday vernacular so people can really immerse themselves in some of the most wonderful ideas that we have ever explored. And what you do throughout the course of the book is is to sort of reset and try and dumb it down for a reader like me. I would never use that word, though, dumb it down. I totally get what you're saying. But my goal is to keep the integrity of the ideas while just describing it in language that everybody can get, using stories, analogies, anecdotes, because all of the ideas of science, anybody can grasp them so long as they are phrased in the language that we all speak. Okay, well, here's an example. Some 14 billion years ago, the entire observable universe, all we can see using the most powerful telescopes imaginable, was compressed into a stupendously hot, incredibly dense nugget, which then rapidly expanded. Cooling as it swelled, particles gradually slowed their frenzied motion and aggregated into clumps, which over time formed stars, planets, all manner of gaseous and rocky debris scattered across space and us. In two sentences, that's the story. Yep, that is. That's a quick summary of 13.8 billion years of cosmic history, going from the beginning to the formation of stars, planets, galaxies, and life, at least, on planet Earth. Will universe have an end? Well, the structures that we are familiar with will have an end. Stars in the far future will dissipate into their particles. Planets will fall apart into their ingredients. Life itself seems to be completely challenged in the very far future. But you need to bear in mind, we're talking about timescales far longer than the time back to the Big Bang. So this is nothing to worry about today, but it does give us perspective. We are a small little window on the grand cosmic timeline, and that really focuses our attention and says, live as for the moment, because that's what we have. Chapter 5, Particles and Consciousness. Somewhere between the first prokaryotic cells four billion years ago and the human brain's 90 billion neurons entangled in a network of 100 trillion synaptic connections the ability emerged to think and feel to love and hate to fear and yearn to sacrifice and revere to imagine and create newfound capacities that would ignite spectacular achievement as well as untold destruction by the way you write beautifully oh i appreciate that when was their first consciousness I'm thinking of that great line in Caddyshack. Uh, the Dalai Lama, I think, gives to Bill Murray, the greenskeeper, the gift of consciousness. When was I never there? I saw that. I have to check that out. Uh, that does not surprise me. And, I, <laughs> and do not remember that I recommended it, please. I'm a guy who likes Animal House. Go ahead. Hey, I love Animal House. Okay, good. With a fingernail, wondering if what's up. We're in a, Adam and the fingernail of a giant. Beautiful idea. One that we actually take somewhat seriously in some particular manner. Consciousness. When yeah. did that first happen? No one knows for sure, but, you know, in the last few hundred thousand, perhaps few, you know, million years is the time frame, 
when the complexity of brains, let's just focus on human brains, or at least our forebears, became complex enough that the physical processes could yield the kinds of processing of information that allows us to reflect on the world, allows us to sense the world, allows us to make decisions and think about how the world behaves. And that, to me, and many other scientists as well, is all that consciousness is. It's complex information processing taking place in this gloppy three-pound gray structure sitting inside our heads. There's something about Mary, and we're not referring to the movie title. So she's colorblind from birth. Do you mind giving the Note version of what happens to her and its significance? Yeah, I mean, the deep question of consciousness is if you knew everything physical about the brain, all the chemistry, the biology, the physics of all the motion of the particles, would you fully understand consciousness? And there's a little story that a philosopher named Frank Jackson put forward years ago which was meant to challenge the perspective of the so-called physicalists, like me, who think that there's nothing more than the physical processes that are responsible for consciousness. And the story goes, you have a colorblind person named Mary, and her entire world has always been in black and white. She yearns to be able to see in color. And what she does is she understands the brain in a level of detail that nobody has previously done before, and with that, figures out uh, how to cure this deficit that she has. And the question is this. When she stands in front of, say, some beautiful red roses for the very first time, and the doctors say, take off the bandages, and her deficit is cured, she sees red for the first time, the question is, will she learn anything new by virtue of that first experience of the color red? And if you think that the answer to that is yes, and I think most people's reaction is yes, first time you see red is going to be this enormous experience, then you must agree that there's something more than just the mere physical, because she'd already figured out everything physical about the brain, so there should be no surprise when she sees that red. But if you think that she will be surprised, you have to come to the conclusion there's more to consciousness than the physical. Now, people have debated whether she will learn anything new, Mary, the first time that she sees this color red. Your intuition, I think, is yes, but if you think hard about it, as many people have, you basically, I come to the conclusion that she wouldn't learn anything new. It would be a rich, deep experience, but it does not establish that consciousness needs something beyond the physical. Brian Green, until the end of time, mind, matter, and our search for meaning in an evolving universe. This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com.
If you're like me, it's now the end of the day and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive. Then take out, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math and see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash smirconish, netsuite.com slash smirconish, netsuite.com slash smirconish. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. Where are we in the grand scheme of things? You write, I think, effectively. I love this illustration. You speak of the Empire State Building. Explain to my audience what I'm referring to. Yes, if you want to think about the time scales of the very far future, you need some kind of metaphor or analogy because the scales are so large that the human brain is really not prepared to take them in. So the analogy I use in the book is to say, consider the Empire State Building and imagine that each floor represents a duration that's 10 times that of the previous floor. So the ground floor is one year since the Big Bang. First floor, 10 years from the Big Bang. Second floor, 100 and so forth. And so as you go up the Empire State Building, you are walking exponentially far into the future. And the things that you and I were discussing a moment ago about the sun going away or dying away, that happens at roughly the 11th, 12th, 13th floor. And if you Think about matter itself disintegrating. That likely happens around the 38th floor. If you think about consciousness and living systems being no longer able to function in the universe, that's roughly around the 50th floor. And if you keep on going right to the peak, black holes, the one remaining structure in the far future of the cosmos, they themselves will fall apart by a process that Stephen Hawking revealed in the 1970s. So by the time you get to the peak of the Empire State Building, 
It's just a bath of particles wafting through an ever larger and ever colder cosmos. Expressed as a fraction, how far up in the building are we? About the 10th floor. Of, so, of how many? Of 100, 102. Okay, so we're 10% of the way there. Yeah, by there meaning the top of this particular story, but you, as I do in the book, you can go even beyond the peak of the Empire State well, at Building. What, but, okay, at, yeah. what, at what point of, of the sort of escalation does matter fail? Well, it's roughly the 38th floor, we believe. Hmm. Protons are the heart of matter as we know it, and our cutting-edge theories suggest that by roughly the 38th floor, it is very likely, according to these theories, that protons will disintegrate into even smaller particulate constituents, and that would spend the end of complex matter. Hey, uh, Brian, I know that people listen. By the way, thank you for being so gracious with your time. Just a couple no, of more questions, if you don't mind. I yep, know please. I know that people who are hearing this and those who are familiar with your, your work will, I think, mostly want to know. What I'd want to know, if I were driving in my car across the country right now and listening to a world-renowned physicist talk about these big-picture issues— I'd be wondering about religion. And yeah. in the book, you talk of you and I both uh, lost fathers not that long ago. And you talk about the comfort, the solace that you took from your faith. Uh, would you just speak to that issue? Yeah, so I am not a religious person in the traditional sense of the word. I, I don't go to religious services, I don't practice in any formal way. But nevertheless, as I describe in the book, I'm not one of those scientists who think that religion is silly and needs to go away, that we need to outgrow it, which is the framing that some scientists use. My view is there are many levels of truth. And in the book, I certainly focus some attention on the physicist kind of truth, the particles and laws of physics. I talk about the chemist truth, putting those ideas together into atoms and molecules, a biologist who uses those insights to talk about cells and living systems. But we need to keep going for the full story and talk about the neuroscientist view of truth so we can start to talk about consciousness, the psychological approach to truth. We need to talk about the artist who uses creative expression as a pathway toward truth. And religion is another approach that has for a very long time been incredibly useful to many individuals to not understand the external world. That's not what religion is good for. Religion is good for turning the eye inward and understanding our inner world, our conscious experience, how we fit in the world, the relationship we have to our forebears going back thousands of generations. And indeed, when my father died, I was consoled by the minion of, of Jewish individuals who came to our home and recited the Kaddish prayer, which is a tradition going back thousands of years. It gave me a sense of connection to a long heritage. It didn't give me insight into the Big Bang or the workings of the outer world, but it did give me a feeling of connection to a long history, which gave me solace. And I think there's value in that kind of an experience. In the end notes to the book... Chapter 5, Note 4. As I make frequent mention of mathematical equations articulating the laws of physics, it is worth briefly writing down our most refined version of these equations. Even if you don't grasp the symbols, it may still be of interest to see the general look of the mathematics. You'll not be surprised to know that I could follow none of this. But right. I did really get uh, a kick out of seeing these formulaic representations. Now comes yeah. now comes my naive question. Yeah. Um, 
the math versus the the sort of tangible evidence and observation. Help help me understand how you go from counting rings on a tree, which is something tangible that I can look at, to the the abstract mathematical equations and how they offer such insight into the questions that that most uh, uh, occupy your time. Yeah, so your example with the tree rings is a good one. The rings form a pattern. And what math is really good at is articulating pattern in a very precise language. That's really what the symbols of mathematics are all about. So when we go beyond tree rings and we start to talk about the behavior of planets, we want to talk about the force of gravity, and we have equations that capture the patterns of the gravitational force. And when we go further and talk about the ingredients of matter, the electrons, the quarks, the neutrinos, the names don't really matter, but these are little particulate constituents that make up the world around us, we can find patterns in how the particles behave the analog of the tree rings, if you will, at the level of particles, and we can write down mathematical equations that capture those patterns. And the beauty of it is those equations in that endnote, which of course nobody needs to read the endnotes of the book, and I'm totally impressed that you did, but those equations can make predictions for how the particles behave. We then go to a machine like this big particle accelerator in Geneva, the Large Hadron Collider. We slam the particles together. And we compare what we observe with what the mathematics predicts, and there is incredible agreement between the math and the observations. And that gives us confidence that the equations in that endnote are revealing a deep truth of how the world actually works. I always learn something from the endnotes. By the way, in the acknowledgments, is the Michael Douglas you thank the Michael Douglas? No, uh, yeah, there are, there are many Michael Douglas's, and this is a, a brilliant physicist uh, who I don't believe has been on the Hollywood screen yet. Um, finally, can we tell them that our wives were roommates in college? Absolutely. Okay, because you, you, you do dedicate the book to Tracy, which is also pretty cool. Yes, absolutely. She's my wife and inspiration. I don't know how I don't know how anybody could keep pace with you. I mean, she's a brilliant woman. My, my, oh. wife, my wife could hang with you, but... Gosh, it must be just hard. Uh, you're, you're... My wife is much smarter than I am and much more creative. She's an amazing <laughs> woman. Hey, Brian, congrats. It's a great book, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Michael. It's Brian Green. Until the end of time, mind, matter, and our search for meaning in an evolving universe. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirconish program weekdays on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 and anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com.